Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Julie. Today we have Debbie Harrell. Did I say it right? You did. Okay. God, I was like, I, I was pretty sure I was going to remember it. You were so confident you were going to remember. <laughs> and to And speaking of memory, I don't actually, I usually I copy and paste in our, in our little chat place, like whatever you said for me to reach out to you to say, oh, would you like to be a guest? And so I didn't do that. And all I know is that you've had a lot of things that happened that forced you to do different things that you weren't planning on doing. And um, and I had used the word identity loss and you're like, well, I'm not so sure that's what it was. But, um, and actually, so just, just to, I actually love to, I prefer, and I try to not know very much about a person's story so that I just discover it as we go along. I like so I think that. we're, I think we're in a good place. <laughs> yes. So mysterious. Right. But what I remember is, is that you said, well, I never really had an identity to start with to lose one. So I, let's, let's start there. What was that about? It sounds yeah, like when, childhood when, trauma. Yeah. When you asked that question, you know, I sat with it for a second. I, is it an identity loss? Um, and I feel like, and I don't feel like I'm uncommon in this predicament of, you know, spending time contemplating who I am outside of the things that I do, right? We identify so much with with our roles in life, yeah. but actually spending the time to contemplate who I am outside of that seemed like a luxury that I was not necessarily afforded or didn't take the um, the time to to contemplate that. And, and as such, I feel like I just was never really connected to that part of me in a very um, meaningful way. Like well, I knew there was something more to me that was maybe a little, um, what's the word I want to use? Um, not disgruntled, but like less than fulfilled in the way life was coming coming together for me. Or le less of your potential was manifesting. Perhaps that was it, but I don't know that I would would have been as confident to to think that I was not fulfilling any sort sort of pot potential. But I just felt like there had to been something more, or I was missing on something, or like, is this all that I'm really supposed to be doing? As far as you know, like I'm checking the boxes. I'm, you know, a good employee, a good, you know, relatively speaking, good employee, good mom, good community member. Um, so even in checking those boxes, I was like, but, but I still feel like, like something's missing or I'm not quite getting the whole picture of what I'm supposed to be doing here with my life. Um, Maybe I was in an extended existential crisis from an early age 
I don't know, but it always felt like, is this really all there is? Mm -hmm. And then um, we were talking before we got on, you know, the universe kind of throws you curveballs on occasion. And I feel like I had been thrown quite a few in a short period of time that I wasn't able to field, if you will, to use a baseball analogy. Um, and it became apparent that I wasn't fielding them well. And um, I got to a point where it was obvious, as I say, um, the wheels were coming off the cart. Like I wasn't, and that's where I might've had a little bit of identity crisis because I recognized that I wasn't who I was, you know, five years prior. I wasn't functioning in the way that I was five years before. I wasn't um, being the mom and the friend that I was prior. So I recognized that something was shifting For and I wasn't. Say that again. For the worse. Yes. Because we're never the same, mm -hmm. but sometimes we get better with growth and sometimes we like come undone. Well, that's a really good point because that's what a lot of people focus on. Well, if you don't go through those crises, you don't have the growth. They act like the growth comes magically. Right. But that's not necessarily the case. You have to consciously be aware that something's going on and then choose to do the work to experience the growth. And so I was in that point of like, oh, something's going on. I am, I'm, I was aware because of things that happened in that period of time. The 2017 was a crazy year for me. Um, in the spring of 2017, I lost my mom somewhat unexpectedly. Um, after that, I was experiencing my own serious mental or not mental health, physical health issues where I'd had like three surgeries that summer. Mm. Um, and the end of the summer, I was in attendance at the um, Route 91 music festival in Las Vegas, which is where the mass shooting happened. So I was present for that. And then almost- Wait, you were there at, the, that was the year of that that uh -huh. happened? Yeah. So and I so was you were there. there. So you lost your mom, you had three surgeries in one summer, and you were at, in uh, a person who survived a mass shooting. Yes. And after that, um, almost a year to the day after losing my mom, I lost my closest relative, my little cousin to alcoholism. So that year was a little bit much, even for, you know, the universe normally throwing curveballs. But I um, was fortunate after the shooting that I had a lot of support and um, someone in my community uh, brought a PTSD specialist over to talk to me and my group of friends that were at. And in talking to that PTSD specialist, you know, he was telling us the symptoms, the way we might be feeling and how we might be operating. <clears throat> and I'm like, yes, I recognize all of that. But I've been acting like that for at least five years. Like, So like, what gives? And that's when I started realizing that there's so many of the experiences we have in life. And I feel like we're all becoming more aware that there's such a thing as big, big T trauma and little T trauma. Mm -hmm. And our bodies, our, our bodies and our brains process them the same. And so I had experiences both in childhood and throughout my adult life that were traumatic, but I wasn't 
cognitively aware of that's what was happening to me. So of course I was not doing any work to take care of myself or because they um, weren't big T traumas. Well, it depends on how you look at it. Like, um, one of them is, and I don't usually talk about this on a podcast, but, um, one of them was my son, perfectly healthy, 14 year old son started having grandma seizures. So that's big T. Yeah, that's a big T, but it's also like, so, and this is the other thing that happens a lot. I know for me, and I, and again, I don't think it's uncommon where we have these experiences that yes, are hard and they're heavy, but we look around at other people and think, well, you know, it's not that bad, you know, other people have it much worse. And so we do this quantifying of like, you know, I can't take up space with my trauma because it's not bad enough. Um, Mm -hmm. And so all of those experiences just layer on top of you. And, and even after the shooting, so in 2017, you know, maybe early 2018, I started going to therapy and I was quote unquote doing the work. At least I thought I was, but I, I really wasn't because I think when you first get into that space, you don't even really realize what the work is. You know, I was going to a therapist and I was talking to somebody, um, but it became apparent to me that I was literally paying somebody so I can go to their office and cry, you know, a couple times a month, um, which that is helpful. Um, but it wasn't until uh, end of 2019. So that's, you know, two years after the shooting, which is the big, right. It's, it's, it's an obvious signpost this is not normal. (laughs) You need to do some work to deal with what you experienced. Um, That was two years later, it was 2019. And I was walking with a friend talking about all the stuff the universe sends, sends your way and dealing with it and not dealing with it. And, and she looked at me and she's like, Debbie, I have taken time off work for far less than what you have going on. Mm -hmm. And it was like a switch. Wait a minute. I can take time off work. I can pause. Like I can take time for me. That's an option. Whoa. You know, hold, hold the horses, hold the presses. I don't know. Hold something. Um, so that's, that's when I talked to my doctor, I went, got a full physical workup to make sure there wasn't something physically happening. Um, went to therapists and psychiatrists and, um, was able to get a a mental health leave from work. Um, And that was at the end of 2019. And then cue the fun year of 2020, which saw us all going home and spending some time with ourselves. Um, But also, as I said, I um, live in a community where most of the work is based in the hospitality industry. Or maybe I didn't talk to you about that. But no, you live in a tiny island. Yeah, I live in a resort town. So resort town. Um, so the pandemic was a hardship for most people over here, and I was not an exception. And my job went away, um, which I see in hindsight as a blessing because it was not the best uh, work environment, and it was toxic and doing harm to my mental health as well. So, but I didn't recognize that at the time, had it not gone away, I would have gone right back to that work. Um, so the fact that it went away 
and I was spending time and with a lot of people doing, you know, personal development work. That's when I found my first uh, business coach, you know, and I really started uh, leaning into that permission that the friend gave me, right, mm -hmm. to take time off work. That's kind of a theme that was big in the beginning of my journey, my healing journey was the permission to do things differently. And it's actually one of the first tenants I work with my clients on is giving yourself permission to do things differently. And when I started working with a business coach, um, it was all about creating an online business. And um, heck, you know, I had lived, worked in business for years, both, both in a corporate setting and a small business setting. So I had plenty of experience. And why had I never given myself permission to do that sooner, to take that risk? And so, yeah, that's that's what started me on the path to what I'm currently doing. So the why you didn't ever consider it before, how does that tie back to where we started the conversation that you didn't really feel like you had an identity to lose? and and therefore where's the the personal agency to make decisions and and make change happen in your life based on your your decisions yeah i probably because i wasn't sure who i was or or and there was definitely a, a fair amount of you know um and there still is you know self-confidence issues left over from the childhood stuff that we kind of touched on. But, um, and I feel like so many of us struggle with um, the imposter syndrome. Who am I to take up that space? Essentially, since my first idea was to start a podcast because, you know, I'm a consummate introvert. I'm not one to speak out um, in groups. Um, I was also raised in the house that, you know, children should be seen and not heard. So and I tried really hard to be quiet because that was the safest way to navigate that space and time. So the fact that I am now going to choose to use my voice in this way was um, bold. But then, oh, yeah, you can't just decide that, Debbie. There's a fair amount of work that needs to go in <laughs> for you to get to that point of being able to record your voice, listen back to it um, and um, put it out into the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, let's, I want to just have, get a little more context um, with, from these stories. So like when you were a little girl, what was going on in, in your childhood that you didn't feel safe to? Um, I lived in a house. So I was, my mom was a single mom. So I was being raised by a single mom. Um, the, what I call the chosen father figure or her boyfriend that was around for the majority of my childhood was not a nice human. He was a narcissist, uh, emotionally abusive. And that's where it's like, oh, I didn't have it that bad. He didn't physically abuse me or my mom. I mean, he borderlined a few times, but it was mainly the, the emotional abuse and, um, and which sticks with you. Those stories that you're told at the, at that age in your life, you know, from six to 16, the stories he was telling me about who I was and what I was capable of weren't that wasn't glowing reviews. So what what were like the three main characteristics of those stories that he 
basically recorded into your mind because when you're a kid, you don't really have very much choice over accepting what other people say or not because you're trapped living there with them and you have to, you know, navigate with whatever defenses you can. And one of the defenses is sort of kind of believing, even though maybe one part of your brain knows it's it's wrong what they're saying. This is what happened with me, like internalized oppression is you start to sort of believe it because you can't really fight it the way you want to. And so to not go crazy, you sort of, I'm sort of just explaining my thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And it's also because, um, well, we know now that we do work, we learn a little bit more about how the brain works and that if he's telling me these stories that I'm um, no good, never going to amount to it, and nobody likes me. Um, he used to love to say I was a load of dunnage, which is basically a pile of garbage. I'm ugly, like all these things he would tell me, just horrible things he would tell me about myself. And then what happens to your brain is your brain looks for proof. Confirmation. Of those yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had a confirmation bias then that I was all these terrible things. And wouldn't you know it, I was perfectly able to um, interpret different situations to back that up, right? Because yeah. you can take the reason that somebody did something and make it, oh, because I'm I'm a terrible person. That's why they behave that way. Um, one of the most uh, life-altering books that I read was The Four Agreements mm -hmm. and that section on nothing, uh, not take nothing you. personally yeah. was huge for me because I was like, oh my God. Like all this time I've taken everything personally, everything. And it's like, to, so learning that, oh, that wasn't about me. It kind of gave me a little permission to like, okay, this isn't proof to confirm that. When I'm in a good space, like when I'm in a bad space, I can slip right back into that, um, that interpreting things in the worst way possible to confirm that, yes, I am a terrible human and I am not going to amount to anything and I don't deserve anything nice you know like all that those horrible stories that he told me um those neural pathways are still there mm -hmm. and but we can build new ones to bypass them to bring us to better conclusions and I can recognize when it starts to happen when I see right. the spiral starting the negative like I can pull myself out of it and and counteract okay no you you're saying that but where is the proof of the opposite you know, where is the proof that you're likable and you are lovable and people do care about you and enjoy your company, you know? So I then will have to counteract the spiral with the opposite and it, it helps. I mean, and, and also like, wait a minute, where did this come from? And if you can mm -hmm. identify it to, you know, him, then it's mm -hmm. like, well, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to, that's not valid. That was mm -mm. just him. It was just mm -hmm. him. Okay, so you you had a childhood that basically this is how I talk about it in my book. You know, I have a book, Masters of Change, about identity loss. Masters of Change. Oh, you, I did just read a book, Masters of Change, but it was Brad Stahlberg. 
Oh my God, you got the wrong one. No, I just read, <laughs> I, I just read his too. I found it at the bookstore. I was like, wait, 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 what? Um, his is Master of Change and mine is oh. Masters of Change. Okay. And so his is like a real broad, it's like really good. Uh -huh. And mine is like really narrow on identity loss stuff. Okay. And um, now I forget why I was telling you that. Oh God, what was it's a good good book plug. <laughs> <laughs> would have been better if I would remember why I even brought it up. <laughs> um. Anyway, we were talking about how these neural pathways get in there, and. Um, and then when we when we start to you know get out of these environments away from negative input then we have a chance at building new neural pathways by questioning our beliefs and noticing when these thoughts come in and then and then counteracting them how did you say it you you counter what was your word for it where you find something to make it not true yeah, if I'm if I'm in a spiral of, you know, confirming those terrible things about myself, like, oh, that person said that. So that's because I'm, you know, a terrible person or that person did that because um, or something happened or I did something because I'm a terrible person. I just challenge myself to, well, what's the opposite of that? Where can you find the proof that that is true? And if you can find proof that that's true, then there's space for many other things to be true. Right. Right. Well, so, so yeah, I was, we were going to get more context. So we got sort of more context on your childhood and then becoming an adult. And then you had all of these major things happen more recently. And, but what happened in those five years where you actually were going further away from your potential instead of you know, like, oh, when I was into it, when I, well, I was, I was operating with PTSD, like chronic PTSD, like I had experienced a traumatic experience and went right on with life, like never even addressed it. Well, so wait, so when this was in those four different things you talked about or before those, this was between 2009 and 2017. Okay. When, so when I had like what traumatic things, experience was that? Well, it was my son and other things happening during that time period. Okay, um, your son's diagnosis with um convulsions, what was it? He, he was diagnosed with epilepsy, a seizure Ep disorder. A seizure disorder, yeah, which is huge. Yeah, that alters everyone in the family's life, you know. Right. Not just his, but most dramatically his. Um so yeah, and when you're not dealing with your mental health, it's dealing with you, right? You're, you're trying to be, my yeah, favorite it, line it, was, I'm, I'm fine, it's fine, everything's fine. And it most certainly was not. And it eventually got to a point where I just couldn't fake it anymore. Like I needed help. And And what was going on that you were saying that you were fine instead of getting help? Um, I was busy trying to support myself and my family and, you know, be a productive member of society, you know, like 
work takes a lot of bandwidth when you're raising two kids that takes a lot of bandwidth and uh, therapy is expensive when you're a single mom you don't really have a lot of extra money to be paying therapists to um deal with this stuff that isn't that bad right because i'm still quantifying like oh there's so many people in the world that have it so much worse than i who am i to complain about this normal hard stuff i just need to deal with it mm -hmm. and so that's what i was trying to do deal with it and i was doing a pretty good job until i wasn't and then um but what a gift it was to take that time and focus on myself and recognize that doing the work is challenging, but it's rewarding. And life on the other side is um, so First that there is life on the other side. There is life on the other side. Um, and it's not as scary as it might seem because change is uncomfortable and um and and it's scary the unknown the uncertainty right we all want certainty and and when you're going through i know some people call it the dark night of the soul i don't know that i ever had one of those but definitely had the the universe say okay you need to do something i feel like they were sending little messages little messages over and over and over and i was just ignoring them until it was like <laughs> grabs me by the shoulders and says woman <laughs> do something and so then I finally so did. what what was it like to be grabbed by the shoulders as far as sort of from the identity perspective is that you you did have a lot on your plate you had things you had to do you didn't necessarily have the financial luxury to just like take all the time off and have all the therapy you, you might have chosen had that been different and so then what what is it like to finally sort of come to this fork in the road where where you did just unpack that just a little bit more for us because you know like in general a lot of us can just keep or do just keep going until we break yeah um i feel yeah, gosh, what would have happened had I not taken the time off work? I have no idea how I would have continued. I feel like it, it would have been a break. Like things. But how did you, how did you actually make that decision to take the break? Your friend said you could, but still, what was it that because you said you hadn't actually broken yet. You were still functioning. Uh-huh. So oh, how, how it, did... it was that. It was literally like a switch. She said, take time off work. And I'm like, okay, take time off work. I made a few doctor's appointments and that was that. I'm like, oh my God, thank God. Because I was falling apart at the seams. And then, okay, I'm taking time off work and I'm working on myself. Well, that creates a whole nother crisis because what the hell does that mean and i'm sorry i'm not sure what, what the language you use on this show is but we, we um, use a lot of language <laughs> okay um so what does that even mean right. and so starting there to figure out okay like because i've been uh, a consumer of self-help books from the get-go i've always been interested in personal development 
right? I've read it and I've intellectualized it for decades, but oh, okay, now I want to actually integrate Implement, it yeah. and embody it. Well, that's a little different. How does that work? And how is that going to impact all my relationships? And like everything comes into question. And that's where I, for me, the the pandemic was a good thing because if not, I would have been eager to just get back to life the way it was, you know, take the break, you know, like, like three deep breaths of life, you know, maybe it's a three weeks or, you know, a couple months of resting, but then just right back to, you know, the cult of busyness and checking all the boxes and doing, 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 and going, going, going. And so I never would have actually gotten as far, because I don't want to say I'm healed, but like, I'm definitely further down my healing journey than I would have had I gone back to work and do gone back to what I was doing. And so the fact that we all were given that break, you know, whether we liked it, uh, whether it was uh, traumatic, because, you know, that, that was traumatic for a lot of people. Um, but for me, it helped me give it a little more space. And so many other people were jumping in the personal development space. Like, oh, okay. Like I have a little bit of time to do this now too. Um, and even just out enjoying nature, there was just more space hmm. to even think about this kind of thing. I'm not sure if that was along the line of what you were talking about. It, it, yeah, that was great. And so just looking at the clock. So what was it like to go into this healing journey? Cause you, you like, you got an official time off and then you got like the frosty on the cake, the whole world stopped. And, and, and I'm not saying that facetiously, but I mean, for some people it, you know, you were sort of describing it as it was frosting on the cake, obviously for not everybody can yes. totally understand. And so I want to know how you went. I don't need all the details of techniques, but sort of the mental shifts that you made to actually have the courage. Where did the courage come to delve into this these past traumas, you know, I mean, the trauma of chronic debasement by a parental figure, that's a trauma with a big T, even though it happens over time in little tiny chunks. And, um, and then the other things that happened in that year, where you had like four or five things all in one year that were super huge. So how does one courageously, you know, where does the courage come from? Where did the, where did the courage for you come from to open up? Because you, you were talking about the difference between intellectualizing self-help and personal development and actually doing the work. So can you just. For me, I don't know if it was courageous or if there was a big moment or epiphany or if it was just a slower. Um, I recognize looking back that. We we're talking about the universe throwing us curveballs and and shitty things, but it also provides those little nuggets if you're paying attention, like the mm -hmm. little threads, the little clues of the next step. 
And I feel like I just kept pulling at the thread because I was unsure. I wasn't still a hundred percent sure I was doing the work that I was supposed to be doing. I was talking to a therapist and, um, you know, working with coaches, but there was still a lot that I probably wasn't unpacking because I didn't really understand how. And I remember when, uh, Nicole LaPera's book, how to do the work. Are you familiar with the, uh, holistic psychologist? So she wrote a book, how to do the work. I was like, thank you. <laughs> Where has this been? So uh, reading that book was very helpful, but also, um, I guess the courageous part was when I saw the threads or the clues that I was acting on them. Whereas the pat in the past, I might've saw the clues, but not taken action on them or not given myself permission to take up that space because my thing wasn't that big of a deal. One, one good um, example of that is there is a program at an organization, an organization, is that what you call it? A um, therapeutic center called Onsite. And the funny thing was when I was in the group coaching program, uh, the coach had said that she had went to Onsite and what a great experience she had. This was in 2020. When you were becoming a coach. This was before I was becoming a coach. I was still. Well, this is for your therapy. This is you doing the work still. No, this was just the first clue that there was. It's kind of like auxiliary information for the next thing I'm going to say. So I first became aware of this, this organization or foundation or facility or whatever you want to call it um, on site in early 2020, when I was doing that business coaching program. And she was talking about how she went to this facility called Onsite and experienced this program that they have there. And I, of course, am Googling Onsite. Ooh, it's in Tennessee. I love Tennessee. That looks like an amazing place. Someday when I'm back on my feet and um, making money again, I'm going to prioritize spending money on myself in that way. Number one, me before 2020 wouldn't have ever spent that kind of money to, to work on myself, take care of myself. Um, so that was a little in the back of my head. I'm going to prioritize that someday. So what changed that you could say, I'm going to spend money on that versus before you never would have? Well, it was just an idea. That was just the starting of the like shift that was happening. Well, then fast forward a year later and uh, through the organization that, um, that supports the shooting survivors, mm-hmm. they said, Hey, We've got a scholarship for some, for people to attend this program at Onsite. Oh my God! Um, now that is the universe um, colliding with your yeah story. So, <laughs> so in in Debbie in prior prior to twenty twenty would not have filled out the application for that scholarship because my experience wasn't that bad. Like there are other people that need that more than me. Who am I to take up that space? Um, but since I had started doing the work and being maybe a little more courageous in taking up space and doing and, and taking care of myself, I'm like, I'm gonna apply. They'll either say yes or they'll say no. We'll see what happens. Well, they said yes, and I had the opportunity to go to that program. 
um, life changing does just barely begins to describe it. But the ironic thing is it also collided with me finally deciding I can become a life coach. Like I am capable of that and I do have value and I can support people in that way. And so I had signed up for a uh, certification course through an organization. Then I got the scholarship to go to onsite. And in the meantime, the Vegas Strong Resiliency Center, which supports people that, you know, were in attendance at the um, concert through their, their trauma, was asking for people that wanted to be peer mentors. Mm -hmm. So essentially coaches in their peer, peer mentoring group uh, or program. So I, all of that happened within three months like that I was going to do all three of those things. Um, I don't recommend doing that much personal development work all at the same time because it, it did take me a while after I got through that period to self-regulate again. Like, okay, I feel like everything's back online and I am able to integrate everything that I've learned. Um, but it was, it was paying attention to the, uh, clues from the universe and being courageous enough. I guess I will, I will take that word and I will um, use it that I was courageous enough to take the opportunities when they were presented to them, presented mm -hmm. to me. And the ironic thing about that year, that was, you know, 2021, I was feeling like I needed to start making money and I wanted to make a lot of money. So I chose an abundance word. I mean, I chose an intention word for the year and it was abundance. And you know, they always say like, oh, you should really be more specific with your with your intentions and i wasn't specific enough in saying that i would like an abundance of money i just said abundance and so when i looked back on that year i had an abundance of opportunities and an abundance of growth opportunities in particular so there's that wow um just because I don't, I think you're the first person, you are the first person I've interviewed who has been in a mass shooting. I did, I, I interviewed a police officer that went on the scene of one, but um, what does it do to your identity to, you know, what happens to your identity after you survive that, I'm just curious in, in your case, because it, you know, you, you would have to think, well, I could be dead right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel what like does that, that do to you. I feel like the most obvious thing for me, if I think about it is, um, I, prior to that, I tended to be the Pollyanna, like looking on the bright side. Mm. Um, and not super worst case scenario planner, not super, um, safety oriented, even though I was a safety officer for, in my corporate job, I wasn't like always checking my exits and making plans in the event that something was going to happen. But after you experience something like that, it's really easy to slip into worst case scenario planning 
all the time, right? You're, and then you're in a heightened sense of survival mode all the time, which is not a great place to be. So recognizing that as soon as you can and learning how to um, deal with it and learning how to regulate was huge for me, like to self-regulate my nervous system um, has been huge. I had an experience where, cause I love concerts. I love festivals and I still go to them. I was adamant that I was not going to change that about myself, but I have had issues where I have felt activated. And the first few times it happened, I wasn't exactly sure what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, but now I know anytime I go, I just try to prepare myself for the fact that, you know, I'm safe. Um, I had, I had an issue once where I was at a festival and you know, when you're at a festival, the lights are down and you're enjoying the music. Well, something had happened and they had bought, brought the house lights up. It was an outdoor festival and it was raining. It was rain or shine. So it was raining and I'm sure they needed to light a path where they were moving someone, but they turned the house lights up and I immediately went to like, my nervous system, I, just my whole body, you know, you react, your body reacts before your brain does. And um, someone was running by, of course, they were running by in excitement, but in my brain, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so it, it took me a few seconds to recognize what was happening in me. And then a few more seconds to tell myself, look for signs, like I said, looking for the proving the opposite, look for signs that you're safe look for signs of people having fun. And so I was able to look around, like I saw a security guard right away and he seemed unfazed, like nothing was going on. So if anybody knows something's going on, it would be him. Um, And then I see other people that aren't reacting to the lights being up and people still enjoying the show and having fun. And I don't hear any strange sounds. And so I was able to get myself uh, back to, whether you want to say homeostasis or like not freaking out internally <laughs> pretty quickly. And I remember thinking, wow, good job, Debbie. <laughs> I didn't even leave. Like I stayed in my spot, which uh, at first it was because I was frozen, right? I was like, um, and, but recognized that I self-regulated myself and got my nervous system back online and unaware of my situation and and not in a freaked out mode anymore. And I was I was pretty proud of that. And what I'm hearing is that what you were practicing and learning earlier about your, um, your father figure and, and getting rid of his negative um, programming in you that, that you could translate that into that trauma response Mm -hmm. and, and put it to good use. Yeah, I I think that so many of no matter what your trauma or experience, so many of the tools that we use translate across lots of issues and even um, recognizing, I don't know if you're familiar with Bruce Bruce Lipton's uh, work uh, about um, genetics. Why is it escaping me? Like, well, we can affect our DNA. So it's not just about our mental health and regulating Mm -hmm. our nervous system, but that's also affecting how our bodies are functioning. And I, um, I also had the bonus feature, which we haven't even discussed that I was diagnosed with a autoimmune issue 
not super surprising if you're someone that, you know, knows how trauma works in the body, but I ended up with an autoimmune issue. And although I have one particular type, I'm recognizing that a lot of the women that I know, because autoimmune affects women's um, in more um, higher proportions numbers, yeah. of women than men. So most of the women I know that are struggling with autoimmune use a lot of the same um, tools to support their physicals. And it's, it's a lot of the nervous system regulation. So like the, that part, but then also supporting the physical body in different ways. Like main thing is like detox systems, supporting that seems to benefit a wide range of autoimmune issues. So it's, I, I feel like when you're supporting the whole self, it, it helps for lots of things. <laughs> Yeah, individual make it, make it trauma. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, before before we get ask you to actually to say what you do and how people can find you, um, what give me a like a snapshot of your identity as a little girl growing up. Your identity after that year of like the shooting and your mom and, and then, and your, your surgeries and then who you are now. Oh, see, that's where I might cry. I recently posted, there was a thing on Instagram post little you. And I happened to find a picture of myself sitting on Santa's lap. And I was like, Oh, it's Christmas time. And there's little me. And, um, I posted a picture of myself and the shirt that I'm wearing says, I'm terrific. Although you can't really see the end and my face looks more like it says I'm terrified, but, <laughs> but um, and I thought, you know, there in that little girl, she was, she was happy and um, full of, like not necessarily introvert. Like I remember wanting to entertain everybody and, and then, then there was the stuff that happened in the formative years with he who will not be named, but um, extinguished a lot of that light. And, um, you know, as I become an adult and go into adulthood, you try to get a little bit of it back and then find my stride of like, I'm this, I'm a mom and a friend and I'm doing a good job at it, doing a quote unquote, good job, right? I'm checking the boxes and that feels good. And I feel like maybe I'm not all those terrible things that he says. Um, but as life and the universe keep piling the layers of stuff that I'm not aware needs my attention, right? I just think it's life and that's just the stuff we have to deal with. So I ignore it and keep plugging along until, um, you know, the signpost of the shooting is the one like, okay, you know, this isn't normal. Maybe, maybe you should do some work. Um, has me doubting. Maybe all those things he said is right. Maybe all this good, those good things that were happening for a period of time was just luck. It wasn't necessarily that I deserved that or what I was putting out in the world was giving that back to me. Um, and then the, the switch of deciding to do the work is where I'm at now. 
and actually doing the work and embodying or integrating the ideals that I had intellectualized over the years um, and recognizing that I don't have to check those boxes to be worthy. I don't have to fit myself in the little box that society has crafted for me or that my family has crafted for me or that I've crafted for myself. I can be who that little girl was, like someone who wanted to give back and wanted to feel like she was a part of something bigger or contributing in some way. And that's where I feel like I've finally landed of like, I don't want to go back to a job where I'm pushing paper across a desk. Like I still have a little bit of my bookkeeping business um, and I enjoy the clients that I work for, um, but I'm really enjoying the work that I'm doing with my coaching clients. And really the more I work with other coaches and work with clients, I feel like that's what we need more of in the world. A lot of people think, oh my gosh, you're a life coach. How many life coaches are there? It's like, there are a lot, but really there could be a lot more because people are struggling. People need support and um, I'm, I'm here for it. And I'm especially... I don't know. Are we moving into like what I do now? Yeah, let's jump into who are you and what do you do? The bio that usually comes at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I like the reverse engineer. Um, well, I, I meant I kind of already talked at the the beginning about in 2020, I decided I want to start a podcast and that's where it started. I was just going to start a podcast. Um, 2020, everyone was talking about the new normal and how terrible it was. Did I already say this part? Anyways, go ahead. Cause I don't remember. And I had a conversation with somebody else earlier. So now I'm feeling like I've already said this today. Um, I started the podcast because people were really, uh, having a hard time with the new normal and it was terrible. It was here to stay and it was all outside of our control. And I couldn't help, but think was the old normal, like pre 2020 normal. Yeah. Was it was it all rainbow and sunshine or wasn't there pretty significant challenges we were facing? And don't we as individuals who come together as the collective, don't we have some say in what our normal is? So my podcast is New World Normal. And we talk about disrupting the status quo and uh, in more top-down ways. So on the podcast, I'm really talking about top-down. We talk about systems and, and um, cultural influence and um, so I started a podcast, but how do you make money at a podcast? You don't really. That's more of a, a passion. It did. It it uh, was so cathartic for me to talk to pe other people that were out in the world and wanting to do good things. And, um, and then I kept having the clue that maybe coaching was something I should explore, but I was still working through the, who are you to do that? Um so it took me a while to get a full year to get to the point of, okay, maybe I can do that. And, um, became, got my life coaching certification and then right. The marketing, they're like, well, who do you, who's your niche? Who's, who's your avatar? I was like, I don't want to do that. I just want to help people like get off my back. I'm not going to like, um, and as much as I resisted it, I realized I want to help people who are um, either trying to create impactful change in their life or are navigating unexpected change. So that's so, so funny that you've written a book about the masters of change. I kind of feel like I should check it out. Um, you should definitely check it out because and, not only your own 
life stuff, but what you're doing with the people, other people. Yeah. It, it, um, because so many of us, it, it's kind of like building what I needed back then. Like so many of us are busy checking off the boxes. I've asked many of my friends and I've now confirmed it working with clients. Well, what do you want from life? I don't know. Like no idea. Well, giving people the permission goes back to that permission again. It's a big theme for me to think about it. Take some time. Like that reflective, who am I phase isn't something that I think people feel they have the luxury to really spend a lot of time in. And so I love supporting people who are ready to question themselves about that. And I've um, created a, a group because I also feel like one-on-one -on -one coaching isn't necessarily accessible to everybody. You know, we talked about therapy being expensive. Coaching is expensive mm -hmm. too. So I wanted something that was accessible. I've created a membership um, portal for people that just want, you know, regular help on aligning their intentions and their goals with the values that they have. And then most recently I've created a 12 week program to really support people in um, leaning in and figuring out what it means to move those concepts and those buzzwords that we all hear from our brain down into our body, like to not just intellectualize the tools and personal development ideas that they have, but to actually embody them and integrate them into their daily life. So this is where your proprietary system can be developed because you can translate what you did with your trauma um, processing and healing into finding out what you want to do with your life and having like a, an exciting life. Yeah, that's basically what, what I've created is the process, what yeah. I feel I needed to go through to get to where I am and to support other people that want to go through that path. Yeah. So that's your, that's your framework. That's your uh -huh. proprietary. Um, as much as I resisted it, it happened anyways. <laughs> to As much as you resisted what? The, the avatar and the framework. Oh, right. And right. The, um, yeah. And if you also make little diagrams, then it's, it's easier to protect your um, intellectual property. So I made I didn't make hardly any, but at the very end, I made a few little things in my book. But you know what I'm talking about. You make little, God, why can't I find it? Like this, you make little diagrams. Mm -hmm. And then, so the whole book is copyrighted any, in any way. But then when you, put, when you put your little frameworks into these little diagrams, then that helps with your intellectual property. That Anyway, I'm not an expert on that. I just learned that from Brendan Burchard, who like got ripped off of his very first book. And so he learned a lot about protecting his intellectual property. I'm not to the book writing phase, but I do want to do that someday. So that's good. Good to file in the filing cabinet. Well, no, this is for your coaching and your little worksheets and, and mm -hmm. things like that to put them into. And then plus it makes it easier to, to learn when you have them in these little um, visuals instead of just like talking everything through. Good point. Thanks. 
Um, so, well, this has been fascinating, and I'm so glad that we could do this tonight. And how can people find you online? Um, you can find my website is thenewworldnorm.com since I started with the podcast. Um, so you can find me there. I hang out most on Instagram at live more aligned is my personal account. Um, live personal more self. aligned. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, since that's what it, it really boiled down for me is what do I want from life? Um, how does that align with my values? And also how does it align with the world I want to live in? Because a lot of people have ideas about the world they want to live in, but their daily actions are kind of counter to that vision of the world. So I try to, um, for myself and also for my clients to get them to think of all, all of that. Good. Because well, I feel like if we're all living more aligned to our values, um, I doubt it's going to take us to more chaos and more violence. I feel like we'll get in the direction that the more of us want, which is a little peace and a little more connection and not so much division because they, you know, they, the powers that be have us believing that we're so different. But I really think if we get to the, the core of our, what we value most and mm -hmm. what our principles are, they're a lot more alike than different. So. Love, happiness, peace, health, fulfillment. They're pretty universal, mm -hmm. pretty universal things to work yep. towards. So. And that's what I want to do with my work too, or that's hopefully what I am doing is like, you know, one person at a time to have them um, become more stable and fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And that ripples out into the world. Right. Into their community, into their family and into the world around them. So, yeah. Yeah. And then the kids have less stress. So then they're more free to really grow up to be whoever they were instead of sort of having like their childhoods nipped in or their identity and their potential nipped in the bud because of, you know, unnecessary stress. We're never going to get rid of all stress, but we can do a lot better job than we are. That is for sure. Okay, Debbie. Well, thank you so very much. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. And this has been Julie Brown on Gold on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be.
If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.